You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 167. My name is Marvin Yue and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have the once in future professional Asian American, Jess Jew. Hello Marvin. What up Jess? I started going back to Pilates and I'm very Ooh. in pain now. <laughs> oh, I need to go with you. I love that shit. Is this yeah, like last minute wedding kind. diet like... Yes, I am really channeling my early um, preteen disordered eating. So no one come at me. I gave everyone in my family a fair warning. Like, it's going to be weird. Don't say nothing. <laughs> um, and yeah, I got 40 days. So we're going to be drinking a lot of soup. <laughs> and I like soup. A lot. Like I soup mean, where too, are you? Right now? Are you like, do you need to slim down or do you just need to you maintain? You don't need to do anything. I am just a... I'm just a slave to the patriarchy and I want to drop a few pounds before the wedding because I spent so much money on this thing, like this mm. thing. Um, and I'm just like, I better fucking like my pictures. If I don't like my pictures, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> it's like the Asian me in me where it's like the value proposition is mm-hmm. like what's driving me, not like not anything else. I'm just going to be really, I'm just, I just know I'm going to be really pissed off if I've spent all this money and spe- especially in all this money on a photographer and this dress and tailoring it. And I'm just like, I don't like any of my photos. Yeah. No, I, I see that. Yeah. I see that. And also, why not? You are a driven person. You have 40 days. You've already planned out everything else. You know, I, I have a lot of time too right <laughs> now. So, yes, I do. It's like my fun little project. My fun little project is me. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the angle we're going with. 40 days. That's coming what are you up. doing? Th- what are you doing this long weekend? You want to go to Pilates? I'm trying to go twice a week. I'm trying to, um, I guess, really the main thing I have to do is not eat as much. Like or, that's the thing. Like, shall unfortunately, we go that's you? no, no, <laughs> no. I, I I will do Pilates with you, and I will eat soup with you. You know, yes, <laughs> just for forty more days. I can be strong for forty days, and then afterwards, I don't care. You um, know, we'll be great but, at times like this. Soup plantation. Oh. Yes, I miss it every day, Marvin. And They're you know, really... trying to make everything yourself is just so tiring. Um, it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. And I do miss her every day. And our little, our little, uh, vent sessions there. Special yeah. place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also joining us, <laughs> the most professional of culture editors, Han Win, and soup lover. Uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> I was like, I feel like you've been super busy these last few weeks. Uh, well, it's a very weird time because as we've talked about incessantly, you know, it is a time of the double strike and it's hitting the culture vertical very hard. Um, you, there are certain things we can't help, like the fact that not everything that we're writing is going to be hitting as hard. We're not getting access to certain interviews. Um, we're just, you know, we're having to be more creative. And yet, and some people still really aren't into TV and movies. So I've been having to be creative. And on top of that, Maybe because it is this more depressed time and like the beginning of all the campaigning for politics. Um, this has been the period of time where I'm getting a lot of upheaval and change at work. <laughs> so that's kind of where it's like whenever anything new is introduced, it takes a little time to get everyone on board. And so it's like a lot of scrambling, a lot of you know planning. Um, I'm just exhausted. Um, also, oh, did you know? Are you aware that Mercury is in vet- retrograde right Someone now? Someone told me this. And so I was like, well, are you an expert? Can you write about this for me? So I was just like, I was, everything is content in my head. So was, it's, um, it's in retrograde yes. in the Virgo, which means that it's going to affect work. Oh, well, it has. Um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, that sounds I, rough. I, yeah. I'm also, you know, like, getting excited and planning you know uh, to attend your wedding so it's i've been doing a lot of that planning um and then part of it is like oh wait i need a dress because nothing is formal enough uh so i just i have a like a lot of other like home things also to get prepared before i can take that time off so i kind of have a long list of things i have about five or six doctors i need to see at some point so i i'm just rolling those throughout you know <laughs> just like yeah if i overwork means not 
paying attention to my health. So I need to like start checking up on everything and seeing what's going on there. It's like when you take you need to take yourself in for servicing. That's basically it. I have not kicked the tires in a while and the tires are kicking back. So, yeah. <laughs> well, good thing this week is a relatively lighter week for us. It is yes. um, the end of August. <sighs> which means it's time for our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup. And probably because of the um, WG and SAG strike, um, it's a rather light news month. So, you know, let's, let's just get in and out and get on back on her, <laughs> back on her grind. Please um, pay people what they're worth and get those contracts signed. <laughs> but I guess before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is picking us through this week. Uh, Jess. Your concert tour um, continues. What's popping? It, my concert tours continue. And I was just talking to my sister um, yesterday about like, wow, what a month. What a month to be alive. What a year. Um, I saw my second diva of the month. I went to the mm. Beyonce's Renaissance tour in Vegas this past weekend. And my goodness, like, I'm just so grateful to be alive Um in a time in the same universe in the same timeline as one Beyonce Giselle Knowles <laughs> uh, and in a position where like, you know, I am the correct age to appreciate with the money and the privilege that it comes with to go watch her. Cause that woman is truly, I think the artist of our time. And I just feel so honored and to be allowed to, you know, witness her work um like this is i've been this is the fourth beyonce tour i've been to um and again very privileged to have been able to you know see her multiple times like i was at Beachella, amazing and this the tone of this concert was just so different it was so fun and light like this is beyonce like in her chill mode like i've earned a little like you know fun time mode um her last few tours I feel like she was really uh, in like, I need to prove something or like, I'm trying to save my marriage with my shitty husband. Or, <laughs> uh, you know, like she was, she was really like in the process of like very actively defining the culture, redefining herself. And, you know, um, this one was just really fun. Like she was very chill. Um, you know, you could tell her, you could tell that this was coming from a place of just like joy and gratitude that she gets to do this. And like, highlighting the amazing work. The thing about Beyonce is you're going to be like, this is her like not intense, the not the most intense tour she's been on. And it's still like eons above what anyone else does um, in terms of production. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, including Taylor Swift. Like mm. you, like no one holds a candle to Beyonce's vision in terms of like every, the whole picture of like the, the costume, the dancing. And like the amazing thing about Beyonce is like, you also get this amazing history lesson, like subtly inserted. Cause the whole idea of Renaissance, Marvin, if you, I don't know if you're part of Beehive, but, you know, it's house music, it's dance music, it's remixing, it's um, a celebration of the queer black community that really pioneered this. And, you know, she brings ballroom to the forefront. She brings, um, you know, in, in dedication to her uncle Johnny, who was a gay man who, who helped raise her. And it's just like a mix of all of that in like an amazing two and a half, three hour show outfits incredible her vocals amazing she i don't understand how she's more beautiful in person mm. like it's it's just it's just upsetting like um and it's just like amazing and and again i'm really glad that she is kind of letting loose a little bit more i think beyonce has had i mean she's still probably more locked down than most stars we know because the press has not been kind to her mm -hmm. um you know I think now it's hard to imagine Beyonce is anything but Beyonce, but I'm old enough to remember like Destiny's Child, early Beyonce, you know, when mm -hmm. she was still doing kind of the more rigmarole, like celebrity stuff. And, you know, it, it's not easy on a general thing to have your privacy invaded like that as a black woman. Like I cannot imagine. Um, so it's just like, damn, like, I love you, Beyonce. Thank you for doing what you do. I had a really good time. A lot of dancing. Uh, really awesome robots like the only good use of like ai techno robot technology <laughs> i've seen is beyonce's tour um and i had to i had to i wore this chain metal shirt because she said wear silver i'm like all right it's your birthday beyonce birthday season i'll do what you want um that was 
like I look so good, but it was like really <laughs> I, I was totally scratched, like my boobs yes, were totally yes. scratched because I just wore chainmail. Yep. And I could not touch my husband because he was wearing a mesh shirt. So anytime we tried to like get we got too close, we would tangle up each in each other. And he his shirt, <laughs> which was my shirt, was a very expensive shirt I bought in Paris. And I was like, do not rip this shirt. So it was very much like we are gonna dance with room for Jesus. Um, which is a very like weird dichotomy when just dancing to Beyonce's Renaissance. Um, and it it's just kind of a great, it was a great celebration of this amazing album that I feel like not everybody got, maybe. Um, and especially since when I first heard it, I was on my big European like vacation with Raymond. Like we both took basically like a sabbatical, and we were like in this like tiny Greek island when it dropped on Spotify. And I was just like, I want to be in a club doing lines of cocaine on someone's ass right now. Like, this is what this album makes me feel. <laughs> and, but all I could do was, um, like crawl on the couch of our Airbnb, which is like in the countryside on this mountain. And just like, you know, feral cat, like cat cow yoga, like dance and gyrate. So I am happy that the album finally got, it's like cathartic emotional release on my, for me, in, in the way it should be. So, yeah. I know she's coming to L.A. Um, this coming weekend, she has a show on her birthday. I had some friends going to that one. Super exciting. Can't wait to see. You know, can't wait to just hear the reports. She changes her outfit, like, every single stop. Like, not just every stop. Like, every single show. She has a different outfit. Insane. They all look so good. She looks so good. Blue Ivy came out. Amazing. Just, you go, Beyonce. <laughs> Thank you. Uh... Yeah, she is one person who I feel I still haven't seen yet, and I need to try to make time. <laughs> I'm happy for you, Jess. Um, Thank you. I know, not maybe not your yum. It's the- okay. <laughs> Speaking of concerts, um, I this is not anyone's what's popping. I just want you to bring it up. But how is Fire Festival back again? Oh God, yeah, the audacity uh, of white men. <laughs> That's yeah. how it's back. The dude just got out of jail, right? Like, yep. And uh, we'll see if I we believe. Do you the believe it's sold out? I don't well, believe that. I, no. I, think that's, I think that's hype. Or no, it's not necessarily sold out. But they say the first round of tickets, whatever that means, sold out. Again, it's their own self-reporting. So I think it's just to build up hype. I don't think anyone's going to be. Uh, I mean, the in. cynic in me knows they already lined up the documentary deals and all the supplemental content yeah. around it. Like, it's, is is there no like, is there not like some legal thing where you're like, oh, the thing you got like arrested for and put in jail for, for like the yeah. fraud you committed? Like, shouldn't you not be allowed to commit that fraud? You would, but he learned his lesson. What? <laughs> you would anyway. think that, but look at all the ex cons that still have jobs. Yeah. Who are, you know, white corporate people, you know? Yeah. That's why, Marvin, with that, that idea you had, I'm like, you should do it. Speaking of ex-cons, you did go to an ex-cons restaurant, too. Did you? Did I? I did? Martha Stewart? Oh, I went to the Martha Stewart restaurant. <laughs> it was pretty good. Yeah. We drank her Chardonnay that Snoop Dogg makes. It's not mm. bad. Yeah. Um, Very solid. Like, the, the dishes are not interesting, but it's, like, very solid versions of, like, those dishes mm-hmm. and i i understand like you know if you were in like the 80s like before like food culture really took off and you're like this like you know like you know white person in middle america who doesn't cook with spices and you have this just like very solid roast chicken i'm like yeah i understand why martha has her empire <laughs> it was a very good chicken yeah they smash a potato in front of you that's that's cute <laughs> so you see america's where you have tons of second chances as long as you're white yes Yes, yeah. that second part's important. <laughs> On that very uplifting note, what's popping with you? <laughs> uh, I I mean, I already had this on my um, list to read, but it just so happens that it came in uh, a week or so after um, Red, White, and Royal Blue did great on Amazon Prime. I mean, Prime Video. Um, so it does seem like it's following the theme, but basically it is a book called Fake Dates and Mooncakes by Cher Lee. Uh, she is Singaporean. And as you may have guessed from the title, um, it does require, uh, set up some fake dating between, um, one Chinese guy and one who is half, Hapa. 
Um, and the Chinese guy, uh, he, he runs, helps run a takeout, um, service in New York with his aunt and two cousins. Um, they want to enter a mooncake contest, well, a mid autumn festival contest where you make mooncakes. He was supposed to do it with his mom, but his mom just died. So he's going to do that. With oh, his there aunt. we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's going to do it with his aunt. But the thing is, this is something I'm not aware of because I don't like mooncakes, but I might try this. But um, is he's making the kind of mooncakes where it's uh, frozen, not frozen. Is that right? Not oven baked so that the skin has a different color. So he's going to try to make a blue one. Right. So the one that sets instead of being. Baked. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exact. Instead of baking, you need to set it. So it's kind of more delicate and everything like that. And, you know, you can do different flavors. So. um so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of reading it right now. Since I don't know some of these things, that's interesting to me. Uh, they are still in the fake dating s- section of their uh, book, so I'm enjoying that. I still don't think people are taking advantage of the fakery that I like in these stories, but I get it. You know, not everyone has that high tolerance for for uh, faking it. But, Wait, what um, is your favorite fake dating trope? Like, what do you love I'm, about it? I like it when they're they both have to end up doing ridiculous things to prove that they are dating. Um, so they do in here pretend a little bit like they had sneaked off to make out in the room, but it was really just to like remove some cufflinks because they were too expensive. And you know, uh, the guy who uh, works at the takeout restaurant is like, "You gave me ten thousand um, dollar cufflinks. I can't deal with this." And the other guy is rich, so. Um, anyways, so that's, that was halfway funny, but there should be a lot more of that. The other thing about fake dating is that, um, you end up realizing that your fake date somehow knows you better than other people do. Mm. And so there's, and including the people in your life. And so there's a portion of the novel or story usually where the fake dater kind of teaches the people in your life how valuable you are. And that's a really eye-opening moment. Um, so there's kind of like comedy in it, but there's also sort of like heart-fluttery moments in it that I, I like about that trope. So we shall see if the rest of it plays out. But as long as I, I get some decent mooncake stuff in there, because I do, <laughs> I, since I don't like mooncakes, but now I'm craving it. <laughs> so, so Do I'm they just... talk about how mooncake filling is just lard in this book? Oh, they they discuss other things. He also makes Xiaolong Bao, and he actually tells a secret about Xiaolong Bao. And I was like, why did you do that in this book? Uh, but lots of things we eat these days are full of lard because it's all yeah, full of butter. Yeah. I'm 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 okay with the lard thing. I think they were mainly focusing on the blueness of it and some other things like the uh, the the skin of it. Um, you know, use cold water, not room temperature water, that type of stuff. But who knows? Maybe we'll get to the lard part. Um, it would not deter <laughs> me from eating it. I'll just say, um, but yeah. So that's that's what's going on with me. Uh, Do you guys yeah. like yeah, egg yolk in your mooncakes? I like one, one egg yolk in the <laughs> middle, so I get a little bit in each wedge. <laughs> My sister gets the four yolk. Oh, that's one. too much. It's a lot of yolk. It's also fucking expensive. The more yolks, the yes. more expensive it is. God, what was the book I was reading where someone added like anywhere from nine to 12 yolks? And I was just like, oh, my God, that's too many moons. Right, right. But I also do think that they were rich. So it's <laughs> like including making a rich cake. <laughs> one one of the things that like shook me is when I like was living on my own as like a young adult was like just how much a mooncake costs. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not something I had to think about as a child, like in my parents home. And then when. One year, like, after, I think it was, like, after college. I'm like, I'm going to go buy myself a mooncake because it's to celebrate. And, like, I'm not home. And I'm like, the fuck is this? And I was like, I do not like this to spend this much on something I do not enjoy actually eating. So I was yeah. like. Yeah. They're so Imagine pretty. buying them today in this economy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're so pretty. And I like the concept of them. But I don't actually like to eat them. So I would like mm. to see one where... I would try. I would like to try a snowskin one. That's what they were called, um, where uh, they are frozen, and see if yes, that. Those changes. are pretty good. Okay, it's more like ice cream, um, yeah. like a mochi thingy. Yeah. Almost. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I am no yolks. 
because it gets in the way of what no, I come yolks. here to do, which is the filling. So, uh. you know, I cut down on the cholesterol and increase the lard, which I guess mm-hmm. is still cholesterol. So, I don't know. It's loose. <laughs> do you like the red bean or do you like the lotus filling? I like the lotus filling. Me too. Yeah. I think lotus yes. is preferable in general. I don't like red bean anything. Um, I like red it. bean in general. It's just in, in a mooncake, I feel I like the like lotus filling is better. What? Oh I don't like red bean either. I don't yeah, I feel I like that I'm, is the I'm, food of our I'm people. Giving, yeah, that's why I get cider every time I say I don't <laughs> like red bean, and I'm like, I, no. I don't, I don't, I'm not a beans girl for dessert. I'm oh, sorry, I do not like mung bean either because that's very popular in what? Vietnamese desserts. Oh, um, that's rough as a Vietnamese person. Yeah, like yeah, I will eat to, to partake in the chair. Like yeah, oh, I don't eat that. I mean, I, I like I, I like mung bean. But I liked them before I learned they were called mung bean in English. Because in Chinese, it's just green bean. That's how I learned. Well, no, no, no. Mung bean is the, uh, those, uh, what's it called? Oh, no, I know. But in Chinese, the word for mung bean is it's just green bean. Green bean. Yeah. It's oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So I don't mind mung beans in savory things. But once it becomes uh, sweet, sweet. I really don't like. Oh, it. I so. love a good mung bean. I love a good mung bean soup. I love a good red bean soup. All for like for no. dessert. Damn, he no loves sweet, beans. no sweet beans, the best. no sweet beans ever. Ugh. Um, but I, I also just in general don't love a lot of sweets. I pretty much stick to like chocolate or things that have salt or butter in it, and as the main you know taste. Um, anything too sweet, I'm just kind of like, give me something salty after it. That's colonialism, man. That's that colonial um, tongue coming coming at you (laughs) that's just my own like flavor profile (laughs) Um, so marvin what's popping with you all right so i'm taking a break from my anime (laughs) catch-up because why watch anime when you can play anime Mm. so um this new game just came out on i think most platforms it's called armored core 6 it's I think it's the 15th game in the Armored Core series, but the sixth like mainline title. So it's a it's a mecha simulation action game from From Software, which is a Japanese developer known for mechanically complex and dense games. Um, in recent years, they've become well known for their dark fantasy games like Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Elden Ring. Armored Core is their their mecha simulator where you play as an ace pilot who works as a mercenary uh, for corporations in the distant future. You know, you pilot one of those giant robots and you go off doing jobs. Um, the original Armored Core came out in 1997 and was part of the first demo disc that many of us got um, from the original PlayStation box. So a lot of us are familiar with like the arena mode or the one mission mm-hmm. from that demo disc, which I played uh, like over and over and over again. Um, I had not played actually played an Armored Core game for like over 10 years. So I really, was really excited to get back into it. Um, so really quickly, um, the basic story is you play as an augmented human known as 621, who is apparently indentured to a handler and is sent to a frontier planet called Rubicon, uh, which is ground zero for some, like they de- discovered a new element there. So all the corporations are, descending to monopolize and exploit that because, you know, capitalists got a capitalism, right? Um, yes. So the stories in From Software games are known for their dense world building um, in contrast to their kind of minimalist storytelling and narratives. So a lot of the story you get from context clues, from flavor, and from like reading supplemental materials. So I'm still discovering what the actual story is in, th- in this game, um, besides the fact that like you're being sent to this planet to infiltrate as a mercenary for some unknown purpose. Um, as far as I can tell, my character is known as an augmented human, which apparently is someone whose body has been kind of ravaged. So essentially, like they sold their skill to be like I guess downloaded onto like a a robotic frame in order to work off their debt to repair their body and to, like, become a human again. So it's kind of like mm. some dark um, transhumanist, like, intentional servitude, right? Um, from software, they like, they like yeah. to create... <laughs> Sorry. Marvin, I have a question for you. Yeah. If we are into a future, if we are into a future where there are there is mecha warfare, are you signing up to pilot one of those mechas? Because I'm seeing just a general trend of, like... Like, I mean, like a thirst. Like, is there bloodlust to pilot one of these war machines and just kill a bunch of people? Well, maybe not to pilot to kill, but I do think giant robots are cool. I don't think I'll be the one piloting them because of the fact that, like, you know, like piloting these things require a lot of strength and conditioning. You know, the pilots are physically you're fit not, people. You know, there's you're a not reason. Gonna be yeah. a Pacific Rim. Um, 
stunt person for us? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I think I'm probably at most the person in like the room running the radio, right? I think that's that's okay. my job. Okay, that that's fair <laughs> in real life, but yeah. So that's to say, um, yeah, this company like, loves. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering if it's like a thing. Like again, my husband also very into this mecca thing, and I'm like, is there and is. What is this like secret bloodlust like men of a certain age have? It's not just secret bloodlust. I think it's just, you know, we grew up watching Star Wars and war movies and things like that. So, you know, when you grow up <laughs> watching Gundam, I mean, the thing is, watch, growing up watching things like Gundam also teaches us about things like, hey, war bad. <laughs> war bad. You know? yeah. yeah. I thought that was the general no takeaway. Um, yeah. And the, so, like, you may think you're doing the right thing, but you're just pawns for governments, really. That's fair. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. But but the but you know <laughs> the machines are so cool. Like, they are really kind cool. Of be like it's like ooh, maybe we should enter a fascist state if that means we get giant robots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fantasy, sci-fi, and anime anime are the only ways I will watch war things. Um, <laughs> actual war films, I tend to stay away from. Um, that are set in our world, that is. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is to say, like, you know, from software, they like to create grimdark worlds where, you know, it's like mm-hmm. dystopias destroyed by man's pride and greed. And so it's, it's, you know, it's not meant to be like an aspirational thing, right? You're, you're essentially like someone forced to go into fighting because you need to live, right? Um, but world building aside, the game is pretty dope. Um, it's a mission-based game where you you go out on um, you go on on missions, you make money, and you come back and you buy new parts for your mech. And the mech building is a big part of this game. Um, each mech has twelve customizable parts, four weapons, four body parts, and four components that you have free reign to change. And like each loadout has different strengths, the weaknesses, depending on like what mission you're going on. You can like change up you know what you're strong against, what you're weak against, or focus on defense or offense. Um, it's a really dense game. If you love like mecha type games like Front Mission or if you're Armored Core veteran, you'll definitely get a lot out of it. And the game itself is really cool. It's fast moving and it's it's really hard. Like From Software is known for making hard games that are also fair, right? They love to have like boss characters who act as skill checks, meaning that the only way you can beat this boss is if you actually understand the basics of the systems of the game, right? So you can't really just brute force by like shooting from far away. Like um, an example is an early encounter in like the prologue mission the boss is a giant attack helicopter which i died to at least five times you're figuring out what they <laughs> it wanted me to do because uh, it has lots of guns and missiles and it'll shred you if you like try to take it at range so eventually you learn the trick is to boost up close and kill it with your sword because it is a mecha game so you have a laser sword as well and so if you stay beneath the helicopter where it can attack you and then just boost close up and hit it with a sword you can beat it like super easy so yeah Felt good. Yeah. Felt like I was an ace pilot <laughs> doing war crimes. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm happy doing... for you. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last um, the last mission I did where I um, destroyed some rebels could qualify as a war crime. You know, happy for you, Marvin. Better yeah. on the console than in real life. <laughs> yeah, having a great time. Um, I'm clo- getting close to the boss of the first chapter, which I hear is a huge skill check. So I'm looking forward to dying a billion times there before uh, figuring out. The right way to play. I think your husband would like this game, Jess. He it's, probably it's really great would, for short he's... bursts because each mission is about ten minutes long, so it's really cool. Just jump in, do a couple missions, and jump out, and like move on with your day. Yeah, I'll let him know. He's he's in the Street Fighter kick right now, so <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, Armored Core Six out right now. Um, yeah, digging it. <laughs> All right. Um, on that note, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go over some of the latest Asian American entertainment news um, in our monthly segment, Do We Want This? Stick around. Mm, but we're still here. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, 
a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Raman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. All right, and welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, it is the end of August, which means it's time once again for our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup segment called Do We Want This? Where we go around, um, bring up a news in the world of Asian American Entertainment and ask ourselves if we want this. I guess I'll start off this month with a trailer that dropped um, recently. Netflix's new adaptation of the Scott Pilgrim comics, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, is coming out, um, I think, next month. It is an animated adaptation developed by the creator Brian Lee O'Malley, who is Asian Asian Canadian um, ah. comic book artist and writer. Um, it is being executive produced by Edgar Wright and features the entire original cast of the Scott Pilgrim movie. Um, many of which have become like mm-hmm. stars, right? Like uh, Michael Sarah's career hasn't really taken off, but um, Marie Elizabeth Winstead, um, Kieran Culkin here, uh, pre-succession. I mean, Michael Sarah's in Michael Sarah was, and he was in Barbie, like the best, like the yeah. number one movie of <laughs> he, the year. His, I think he's doing career, fine. Yeah, his career is very good. <laughs> Um, we got Brie Larson, who is now in a Marvel. We got Chris Evans, who is also in a Marvel. Um, Brandon Routh, who was Superman. Should I read these? Because I, I actually haven't seen the movie, but I thought maybe I should read them first. So now you don't have to because this this adaptation is apparently, from what I've read, is going to follow the um, the comics more closely because oh. the movie was only like what two hours so it cut a lot of storylines from the comics out and it actually had a different uh, it did the um, for people who know the Full Metal Alchemist thing where it finished before the comic book finished so it actually has a different ending than the comics mm. the movie mm. that is so um, this is a much more um, a much more faithful adaptation of the source material so. Um, and the and the art style looks really great. Um, it's being developed by Sign Saru, which is a well-renowned um, anime development studio known mm-hmm. for like known for some really like striking designs. Like a lot of anime look kind of looks the same, but if you get something from Sign Saru, you know you're getting like something that looks different and like more 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 artsy, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, do we want this? Uh, yeah, especially since it's more faithful and it looks it looks really cool. I still wonder if I want to read this first. Um, but, you know, that's also my just uh, my penchant for trying to do all the research at a time. And sometimes I don't have the time to do that. So I'll have to maybe just uh, figure out if I want to put myself in that position first. But um, I'm glad that if I do like the series, I can go back to read it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a step in the right direction that they're getting an Asian American creator mm-hmm. at the helm of this. Um, but here's my hot take: I do not like Edgar Wright. I find his outside mm. of his work with Simon Pegg, um, I find his work. It's like they consolidate. He somehow consolidates the vibe of like an annoying teenage boy. Well, he's in just his an executive movies. producer on this one, right? He's not the one. Yeah, I just, I just personally do not like Scott Pilgrim as like a property. Mm, um, I find the whole conceit ridiculous. Um, like, why is this like 
human thumb, like <laughs> cheating on his adorable Asian girlfriend with another ho- like no, it's it's like pure male fantasy and um I think when it was during um I forgot which what the movie the uh the one from the We Are Lady Parts movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when I was like, oh, like what if Scott Pilgrim wasn't annoying? Like, <laughs> so right. I don't know if I need more Scott Pilgrim. This is probably not going to be for me. I'm probably going to skip this one. But you know, good on good on the homies for getting a check. Yeah, I mean, I do want this because I did enjoy Scott Pilgrim. I think the comic books lean more into the fact that this is like a terrible human being, and they're they it's self aware about that. At least I feel like the movie might. Gloss over yeah. that Here's a my bit hot in take. I don't that. think I don't think um, anyone should be allowed to make uh, movies about annoying, terrible men anymore. I think we've <laughs> had enough of that, um, and I don't want it. I have that enough in my real life. I don't need that in um, in my my fun my content. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what I remember, it does address it better than like you know certain other movies based on graphic novels about terrible men. Um, I don't know. I I'm. For me, the pure nostalgia factor is hell of a drug. So I am I am looking forward to kind of the the pop culture extravaganza that is a Scott Pilgrim adaptation. And I do like the team behind it. Science Star is a anime studio which I'm always interested. Like it's like Studio Ghibli or um, Kyoto Animation. Like I'm always interested when they do something because it's always going to be at least visually striking. I think. I will just check this out just like I do the new One Piece and we'll see. <laughs> I have I have no skin in the game really. Um, um, I never watched either the original, didn't read the original. Um, One Piece I have no more like intense infection for anymore. It's fine. I kept it in the past. So I'll see if either of these things spark my interest. Yeah. I'll check them out. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Jess, why don't you take our next story? All right. Next up, the um, new movie is being has been announced from the Blue Beetle director, uh, starring Dave Bautista and Jason Momoa. The movie is called Wrecking Crew, um, and it's going to be helmed by Jonathan Trooper, who is we probably know, or maybe our audience knows the best from being the creator of the Warrior TV series. Do we want this? I'm intrigued for sure uh i did enjoy the first season of warrior it started second didn't really get past more of it and blue beetle is still on my list to see uh so there's lots of cool things going on love jason momoa it's the only the only thing we got is that it's gonna be a buddy comedy and honestly i think that's enough to sell to me i think i'm fine with it (laughs) i want to say yes i do want this i do read that um dable t sanchez momoa are expected to star so i don't think they're like locked in yet but i do like that combination like you know dave is one more actor with a lot of range and jason momoa um really fun actor with a little less range but I, i'm curious to see like with uh, this combo who's gonna play the straight man who's gonna play the straight man the maverick right who's the i mean i assume dave bautista unless they play against type obviously um but you know i think jason momoa is naturally just like kind of a a little bit wackier um, and I feel like it would just be really fun to watch if they get along, right? Because that's also a big thing. I assume they get along, like, as people. Um, but I feel like if they get along and are, like, genuinely, like, friends in real life, and that translates well to a buddy comedy, it's just going to be, like, two charming people we like to spend time with, like, having a good time on screen. And that bodes well for me. Yeah. I guess the other only other question is, do we know if they're playing cops or not? Oh, oh that's fair. I hope uh, they're not. Yeah. The wrecking crew. Maybe they're like construction workers. Maybe. I would hope so. I, I have no clue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no clue. But I do love this combo. Out of all the possible action combos that are out in the world right now, this is the one that I may be the most excited for because I think this is like a best case scenario of like fun combo right like yeah. like in another like a few years earlier this would have been like mark Wahlberg, and like i don't need that <laughs> so yeah i hope we maybe maybe i i would also love you know i'm very pro wrestlers becoming actors i feel like it would also be great if they match shove in in cameo or supporting <laughs> roles like every other single wrestler like oh you know john, john cena, cena in there will come if you ask he's down him. <laughs> for anything yes if he's next to you on set and you ask him to come he will come 
who do you want to be the bad guy? Mm. Someone a hundred percent against type, right? Like yeah, someone like Topher Grace. Oh, oh, Topher's oh. also he has been a villain before, but he's just great in general. <laughs> he's a very good actor. So. I mean, he was technically the villain in Spider Man Three. Yes, yes, he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, Daniel Radcliffe makes always like a really fun, uh, unexpected yes. villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really fun in the Sandra Bullock movie with Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like yeah. you know. We talk about Michael Sarah. Let's get Michael Sarah in here. Yeah, you just want a pale, scrawny kid. Is this what you want? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. I- I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> well, you know, we're gonna play against like two of these, like two you know, we're having these right. two yeah. tall, beefy like men of color. <laughs> Uh, let's get like a small little scrawny white boy in there. Yeah. I like it. <sighs> All right. Looking forward to that. Um, Han, what's the next story? <laughs> well, since we had talked about strikes, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about this L.A. Times story that, that broke a little bit earlier this month, which is basically that um, a lot of the Korean actors in the Netflix productions uh their union is wanting to strike however netflix is not meeting with them yet so i guess that's one way not to meet demands um but yeah so it it's come like look we're not terribly surprised about some of the conditions but uh are are not great but specifically they don't get residuals um the actors on a, a netflix production in korea gets less than on Korean produced shows. So, um, and it's because it's per episode and Netflix Korean productions are less episodes. So it's significant. Usually they're about eight episodes, whereas, you know, a usual K drama is anywhere 16 to 22 episodes or 25. Um, so that already is not great. Also, just the Korean Netflix employees are paid less than. You know, other ones. So it's just there's all around um, there. There, it's very possible there's going to be a strike coming. I don't know if they do that <laughs> over in South Korea or not, but they are not uh, un uh, uninfluenced by the strikes going on in the U.S. So, uh, sort of a rhetorical question: Do we want this? Yeah. Yes, and we want them to also be paid fairly. <laughs> It's funny because, like, everyone was saying, oh, because of the strike here domestically, like, all these streamers are going to lean heavy on international industries. Content. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you know, unions exist in internationally, too. Yeah, Netflix in particular has noticed about maybe 60% of their Korean content, like, streams, like, pretty significantly worldwide, um, and including, you know, in America. And Ted Sarandos has also praised it's uh, the Korean streaming content on Netflix. So I know Ted doesn't have anything to do with the Netflix folks in South Korea as far as like pushing them for anything. But like it's all of a piece, right? You know, Netflix at the top uh, has been shown to not be the greatest um, when it comes to hearing what the workers need. Um, So I really do hope they can get some stuff their needs met they i need them to do something because of course of the many issues i have with south korean dramas don't let this be one you know (laughs) like um i would like to at least know that it's ethically produced even if the storytelling you know leaves something to be desired um don't let this be one more complex thing for me yeah i mean the worst possible scenario would be because of this action that Netflix moves out of but then the thing is like Netflix like Korean drama Korean content is like such a huge it's been such a huge success on Netflix yes and the thing is like knowing that knowing how like especially like tech businesses operate it's like let's find the most cheapest way let's find all the loopholes to like pay as little as possible for hit products because that's that's how tech companies work it's like you need the multiple right you need to put in one dollar and get back ten dollars right in order yeah. to be worth it and the thing is like at some point the people making your stuff is gonna realize that they're not seeing that ten dollars at all yeah yeah, you know? yeah well i mean especially when you consider like the even the cheaper thing to do is reality shows and we all watched physical 100 <laughs> um so that's clearly one of the things that they're going towards that's why there was a squid game uh reality show 
made and um, who knows when we're going to get that. Uh, But reality shows, of course, are notorious for not keeping people safe on set or having, you know, very inconsistent standards because it is a reality TV that has less stringent, you know, work working standards than scripted. So that Mm -hmm. in and of itself is an extra layer. I mean, look, we have Bethany Frankel trying to unionize reality show stars over in America. Clearly, there's there's a problem with reality all around the world when it comes to programming. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, something to think about streamers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I just I do agree their irony of like, we're going to rely on this because they're easier to exploit. (laughs) Oh, wait. Yeah. You know? And I hope that, you know, we fucking exp- we, we globalize export cultural oppress the world in every other way, shape or form. Like if the one upside is that, you know, they can also feel the, you know, incentive empowerment or the idea to strike. I'm like, yes, please do. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, the other irony is um, besides exploiting just generally South Korean content, we- also exploited the anti-capitalist messaging in its content. Um, <laughs> yes. Squid Game, that's you know, just Hollywood, where, baby. Yeah, Squid Game's backstory is the strike. Like, yeah, Squid, yeah, Squid mm-hmm. Game. We uh, we're making a reality show. We're having a season two. The creator isn't getting more money. You know, that's already right there. Parasite. Um, there's an American adaptation uh, supposedly in the works. There were rights bought, um, and and then of course we've created quite a lot of eat the rich type programming in America since, since squid game and parasite, you know, both came out. So, you know, maybe it's the zeitgeist, but still like anti-capitalism, great for storytelling, you know, <laughs> until it bites back right, I guess, right. for the, for the people in charge. Yeah. So eh. it, yeah. It, it's, it's something interesting to me where uh, a lot of these things are flattening out because people are so connected in the world. Um, to each other that you are seeing some things reflect reflected over yeah. yeah you all wanted a globalized economy and this is what happens <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> <sighs> all right our next story this is from a report by rebecca son of the hollywood times um mm-hmm. reporting on the edinburgh inclusion initiatives um comprehensive report on diversity in movies um both in front and behind the camera um, which mm-hmm. analyzes the 100 highest grossing movies of the box office each year and the report found that over the past 16 years um so they've researched over 1600 titles um with 69,858 speaking characters they found little change in the percentage of characters from non-white groups of every race and ethnicity except for one Asians represented 15.9% of characters in 2022's top movies up from 3.4% in 2007 which is a huge growth but overall non-white characters remained slightly underrepresented on screen do we want this uh, I mean, I feel stats is always weird. I took, you know, anyone who's taking a stats class knows, like, it's all, like, kind of made, like, how you present it, the story, how you spin it can all be made up, can all be spun differently. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, we talk about percentage, but, like, when the percentage was, like, we had one person, you know, now you have two, that's like, uh, oh, we went 200, per- you know, like, it's, it, it depends. And I don't know if this re- report quantifies the or, or makes a judgment on the quality of representation um so i mean yes i guess but it there's also like a kind of again been in this too long where like you know i'm um, it, it's also kind of weird to phrase it that way it was like oh everyone's doing bad except the asians <laughs> i know uh, I think... which we know is not ideal yeah i think for me what that tells me is that you know diversity hasn't meaningfully increased just asians have been taking more of the pie reserved for diversity which is not how we want to grow the pie right yeah i mean we look we've seen this before when when we look at almost any nominations for any major awards you're just like oh oscars maybe not so white when it comes to the asians but wait we're all the black people (laughs) and latinx and you know the rest of them it's almost like you can only have one um so great for asians we of course, having covered Asian type programming, have noticed that we have more to talk about and we don't have to rely on some of the the dregs just because that's the one movie out or whatever it is. Um, so that's great. But you know what? Could be great on in a lot more aspects. I do think the queer um, 
queer content is something that is severely lacking in diversity and nuance here in the States. Um, I think, uh, especially because when you're talking about movies, movies tend to be a bit more mainstream. I think if you're going to like try to look for that stuff, you kind of need to look on TV um, unless it's an indie film. But, you know, sometimes indie films treat treat queerness like it's a like a thing to overcome. So, yeah, is there, there's a lot of like different factors here. So, I mean, great with Asians, but I hate that it's down with everyone else. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like th- on paper, by itself, in a vacuum, this is something that we can celebrate saying, yeah, we have much more representation now, relatively. But if you look at the greater picture, it's like, it feels like it's at the expense of like other underrepresented groups, which doesn't feel as good. No, no, no. And it's also like, this is not some like altruistic thing. Like it's happening because of money. Overseas Asians have one of the largest economic buying power. And that's related. Like, it's not just like, oh, we should do the right things. Like, no, no, no. They want the money of rising economies. Yeah. And, you know, it's a push pull too, right? Because those economies are also generating content, like very, like K pop. Again, we've talked about this very <laughs> deliberate, uh, you know, government funded effort. And to ignore that would be leaving money on the table. And, you know, there's one thing that this industry will not do is leave money (laughs) on the table, free money on the table. Right. So, so long way to go. We're so jaded, man. (laughs) We're so like, oh, you can't can't even celebrate the dubs anymore. It's we, we know how the sausage is made. It's because we what see too much. Yeah, we know too much. <laughs> yeah, we know too much. This is, oh, but this is God. our job. Terrible. This I is know. our job. Some, it's to translate. Someone lobotomize me. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be. I just want to be dumber. A little dumber and a lot hotter. Wouldn't it be great if we just drank that Kool Aid? Yeah, I'd have more <sighs> cavities, but maybe happier. I don't know. All right. Um, Jess, bring us out of this. What's our next story? <laughs> um, speaking of overseas Asians mm. and, it, and and content. Ooh, segue. Unforgettable Gala is going to open award categories to international Asian and PI talent. Um, the event is known as, quote, Asian prom, unquote. Um, I have attended before. Marvin, have you attended before? No, I've never been invited. I've been asked I, to work, but I refused. Wait, what? Uh, I'm still waiting for an invitation, but I think I need to do something significantly Asian that catches the attention of someone. It's, it's fun. You know, there's a lot of good sponsors. Their alcohol sponsor is always great. You know, Johnny Walker, Hennessy. But like, it really does nothing to... I want to say this on the record, y'all. I'm go, I do not give a fuck because I don't do this anymore. It does nothing to move the needle. Um, and that budget is insane. And I'm just like, wow, that's like mm. that that is several organizations like double, triple, um annual sal- annual budget for their programming. And I'm just like, for what? So already it's just like a little like, okay, what's the point? You know, everyone's having a nice time. Are we moving the needle? Because it's not televised. Right, it's not televised to a wide audience like the Oscars or the Emmys, um, and then and there's not really quite that like media PR, like hullabaloo around it to give it that power, right? Um, and then to open it to international talent, I it's always tricky because I'm also like you know I get it like you know solidarity and you know we have a lot in common obviously, but I'm just like. They don't face the same challenges mm-hmm. <laughs> necessarily as like Asians trying to work, Asian Americans trying to work in Hollywood. So I just see this kind of for what it is, which is they just want more international. They want an excuse to invite more international famous people like Blackpink or, yep. I don't know, like who's who's big. And, you know, so uh, I, I'm going to be real. Jeans. Sometimes half. <laughs> Yeah, and you and like I mean, with the music, it's usually like it's fun. Um, but like sometimes when you like get actors and you let them talk as themselves, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you realize that like, oh no, you shouldn't have let them talk as themselves. Like again, I think we as a society needs to stop looking to actors and fa- like those types of famous people to have thoughts and opinions about things. 
because uh, I don't understand what qualifies them to have like to for us to like t- that they should be the authority because that's what happens when you platform them you give you give them a sense of authority and I'm just like and then they open their mouths and half the time the shit that comes out of their mouths is embarrassing <laughs> yeah I I've even found just on a less uh, precious basis that like talking to certain actors about even their projects aren't the smartest way to go um, some actors are great. And other ones, I was like, oh, I never want to talk to you again. Uh, so We all yeah. know the cost basis to platform someone is money, right? Yeah. If you're rich, you must be a genius. It's it's not even, like, some of them aren't even rich. I'm just like, oh, my God, like, do not ask, like, actor of, like, CW rom-com to talk about, like, I don't know, like, apartheid. Like, what do right. they know? No, do not ask them. <laughs> you can ask them about their show. You can ask them about acting. You can ask them what's like being an actor of, you know, your background doing kind of do this those are all very valid like what do not ask them about like what do you think about affirmative action like (laughs) no just don't don't yeah um yeah and again like it's anytime we get international sometimes you know the international talent they don't understand the struggle and then they put their foot in their mouth and it's just like mm, it's disappointing so i you know i don't know if i want this but also like it's a very like low stakes i don't want this so it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah in terms of do we want this um as like a event like this is supposed to be the biggest event for like asian americans entertainment and to like essentially dilute it by like making it international asian it does like i like just says like the struggles that we face as an asian american community is different than like if you were born and raised in like in asia and so to to fall into the trap that like all Asians represent Asian Americans is just, it just feels a little off to me. Like I kind of wish. Yeah. There was yeah. a, there's a similar kind of discourse happening in the black community where like recently there have been a lot of black British actors playing like black American icons and like activists. And, you know, some of those actors have some history of saying like disparaging of remarks about like black Americans. And, um, you know, I don't think it's quite that intense, in our community but you know like it's it's always really messy when you bring in national context right like like it's not just like our race our ethnicity it's like oh like do you like 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 tony leung is not fighting for roles and fighting to survive in hong kong cinema you know um it's just different yeah and you know i kind of i get I get, like, the cynical part of me gets the decision, right? Because this way you open up your funding resources and you open up your PR reach. Like, if you bring in, like, a Blackpink or, like, some, like, you know, like, uh, Bong Joon-ho or whatever. Or not Bong joon like, or, like, some, like, or, like, some K-drama star. Or, so, like, you open it up for, like, the international audience. Mm. Like, part of it understands yes. because, like, for a vast but I feel like for a vast majority of, of like Americans who like are into like international content, those Asian stars are much more recognizable than like Asian American ones, right? Like it's yes, it's it's a sad reality of like we're already conflated, so you might as well yes. Like, I mean, like I think if you that. like show, I think if you show like the average person in the United States, regardless of race, like a picture of like the lead actor from Squid Games and like a picture of. Like, I don't know, like Desmond Chom, like they're gonna know the Squid Games guy, right? Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's just like, but and, like we still don't have like Desmond still doesn't have the opportunity to play those characters or lead a show like Squid Games yet. Yeah. In America, we're still fucking like climbing that mountain. <laughs> so yeah. So I get the mercenary necessity of doing this, but at the same time as like an organizer who cares about the space, like I do wish that we did have more focus on like who we're actually uh, serving. Yeah. Right. I'm just like, again, someone just lobotomize me, make me a little <laughs> dumber and a lot hotter. Yeah. Huh. I could use that too. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Bring us home. Han, what's her last story? <laughs> well, uh, definitely less hard hitting than that. Um, basically, uh, the summer I turned pretty. The <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> the uh, has been renewed for season three. Uh, they were very clear that this was renewed before the strikes happened. 
However, they will wait until the strikes are done to actually shoot it. Um, A lot of the same folks are returning, including Jenny Han as a uh, co-creator and executive producer. Um, Yeah, so do we want this? Can I be honest? I lost all interest in this series (laughs) the moment I realized that they like bailed on the Steve and Shayna storyline that I really liked from the first season. Yes. I agree with that part just because he was a delightful surprise because they had upped his character from the books and then they went and downgraded his character to the book level in season two. But um, Jess, what were you saying? Oh, I just, I don't watch the show, but all I get are TikToks of of, like adult people. (laughs) Yep. Like men and women complaining about like the emotional terrorism that the main character uh. Belly is doing to like everyone in this show. <laughs> um, so like, should I start this show? Well, this is the interesting thing is that it had established sort of this TikTok following in its first season. They very savagely, you know, um, aimed its social media presence at TikTok, and so season two actually just went nuts as you. S- no, um, for av- after receiving all of these TikToks of these adults talking about it, um, yeah, I uh, it so it was to the point where I believe both Team Conrad and Team Jeremiah were both trending on TikTok uh, the week of the finale. Um, it kind of just it's kind of insane how big it was. So I enjoyed season one because of the changes that they made. It was also a very fun pleasant sort of summary you know escape uh season two is definitely the uh melodrama season (laughs) um this is also not really a spoiler but you know one of the mothers dies and so the grief of her you know death and how it affects both families that they always vacation together plays out this season plus the love triangle love triangle between two brothers um, which Ooh. I find really gross personally. Um, so I, oddly enough, have not been enjoying the season as much as the first, but I think it's for those same reasons people are really got into it this season. So all the things that I hate, like they, they're like eating it up. Um, it's, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, the character, the characters are basically, they're all teenagers, right? Yes, they are teenagers. And I actually like that because in the second, uh, second book, which is, let me just say, Jenny Han, you know, I like you and I respect you, but this was maybe one of your first series you wrote and it's a mess. Um, but the second book in particular was like, well, that was a choice. Um, some real messiness. They changed some of the worst aspects of the second book to bring it back to a more, you know, I don't know, workable plot this season. Um, but they kept all of the emotional messiness. Um, I will say one of the takeaways I've gotten or a couple of them from putting this on in the background is that th- whoever is writing this really understands younger, the younger generation, like the stuff they are saying, I was just like, wow, if I did not have friends of my own who are in their younger twenties, maybe I wouldn't have understood it. Um, they also understand that there is a mixture of music, young eighties, 90s 2000s that all of the uh tiktok is listening to so the soundtrack actually goes all around and hits all those notes too so um that's kind of cool it's but they also means that it's a very expensive production because getting the rights to songs is expensive and so this like i was i was joking about it but i'm not really joking is that prime video has spent a lot of budget on rings of power and summer i turned pretty and the soundtrack to summer term right soundtrack is a huge huge part of the budget that's why like everyone was talking about it when it came to the bear and that was expensive so this one has multiple songs per episode not just one two or three it's like every scene and some of the characters are singing the songs which is actually more expensive um rights wise so it's kind of insane how much they've put behind this financially they clearly are doing this because it paid off. So um, it is definitely a moment. Um, I'm glad for Jenny Han's uh, success. It just means that she can maybe do more. And one of the things that I've noticed is they've, besides kind of playing it to the younger audiences, they've created more opportunities for queer storytelling 
in the in this uh series that wasn't in the books so i'm happy for that and they do it in such a way that it's like more natural um so that's a plus for me so if they continue that I don't care how much emotionally I'm not involved with this. Like, I don't like it. You know, other people are eating the show up. Then hopefully they're getting that other better storytelling yes. and representation, too. Yeah. I mean, do I personally want this? Sure. If it gets Jenny Han paid, if it gets more age. Because, like, like, the best thing they did to this series is they, you know, they made the main character Asian. Um, Asian yeah. Right? Which means we get more Asian actors playing you know, her mom and her brother. Um, and... Like it really seems like they like they put a lot of care into this very messy story that like I have no like I'm team nobody. She should yeah. just move on. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, these two guys aren't worth it. My most hated trope is the love triangle. So already I'm like out for that. It's like why? Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, um, this is how you do an adaptation right, I believe. Is you know, an adaptation shouldn't be just a one to one thing. It should have added value and and also playing to the strengths of, of what is needed in that age. And so they're doing that. Um, so they're doing a really good yeah. job. At I'm just concerned, you know, like watching like grown adults being like, I want to punch this 15 year old character. Not the, not the actress, but like right, the right. character. Like, yeah, like for the dumb decisions she's making. And I was she, like, well, yeah, no, she's 15. And then if she was smart. There'd be no show, you know, like she's even worse in the fine. books. Oh my god! And I will have to say, everyone's pretty universally bad, including the parents. Um, I I was watching this episode and just like, I mean, I know there's back talk to parents all the time, but some of them I was like, wow, that's brutal. But then I was like, kind of deserved it. So um, I think everyone is kind of hateable on the show, um, except for a couple minor characters. Um, I definitely don't care about any of the leads. <laughs> so uh, it's, that's my hot take. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, that'll do it for this month's Do We Want This? Um, Jason, thanks for joining me as we go over the latest, um, the slim pickings of the Asian American entertainment news for the month. Um, if people want to find more of your thoughts, where can they go? Can they go anywhere? On this podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm, at, I'm still at Anonymous in various locations. You can find me. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say more. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Marvinia on Twitter and on Twitter and Instagram. You can find our show at goodpop.club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check it out, fellow Asian American hosted podcasts by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it for August. Um, man, we're like over a month away from all three of us being in Italy for Jess's wedding. <laughs> Very excited. Yeah, so I assume we're taking a hiatus. Please do. <laughs> my wedding is on a Tuesday, which we usually record on. Please do not break out a bunch of microphones <laughs> at my wedding, Marvin. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not bringing any work with me. Yeah, um, that, so we'll that would not be cash money of you. <laughs> uh, but we'll be back next week for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. It's a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.